0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's open up to Luke, the second chapter. Now I'll invite you to be finding Luke chapter 2 in your Bible as well. We will be in the Gospels exclusively this morning, and Luke chapter 2 is where all of that is going to begin. As you're turning and finding Luke chapter 2, let me echo the welcome from earlier and say how good it is and how encouraging it is to see you here this morning and to worship with you this morning on this first day of the week. We do, as always, have guests in attendance, and we... Appreciate so much your presence today. We're excited to have you with us. We hope that we are helping you to worship and serve the Lord. Hope that you're being edified by being a part of of this good assembly as we uh, seek to do things in spirit and in truth here on the Lord's Day. Let me say just a quick word about what's on tap for this evening and let me make a very extra special plea to the members of this congregation. If you are a member of this local church, I need to be just downright insistent that you are here tonight at 6 o'clock. For most of you, I realize that that's already a given. You're going to be here, but I do need to urge and to beg and implore that everybody who identifies with the Lakeside Church of Christ, that you be here tonight as we are going to talk about some things that pertain to the present as well as the future of this local church. Tonight we will actually begin a series of lessons that will span over the course of the next two or three months or so as we try to take some steps in the direction of being a a whole, a complete, a fully and scripturally organized church according to the pattern of the New Testament. That's all going to begin tonight at 6 o'clock. Right now though, it is Luke the second chapter that I'm reading from and I'm reading about Jesus In Luke 2, you read with me, beginning in verse 22. In Luke 2 and in verse 22, there the Bible says that when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You do realize, don't you, that this right here, this is Jesus' first trip to church. Here Jesus is as a baby, and He is being brought to church by His parents in accordance with the law of God. Now, I hope you understand that I am using that term church accommodatively here to describe how Mary and Joseph, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer worship unto God. And I also realize that there are some major differences between the temple of old and church buildings today. I understand about that, and I trust that you do too. But what's going on here in Luke chapter 2, if we were to just use kind of the modern day vernacular that everybody understands, what we'd say is, is we'd say that Jesus is going to church. And while this is the first time that Jesus is going to church, it most certainly is not the last time that Jesus is going to go to church. In fact, just a little bit later in this chapter, you drop down to verse 41, and you'll find Jesus back at the temple at the age of 12. And He's there studying and asking questions, and He's discussing the Scriptures with the rabbis. And of course, that continues as a pattern all throughout Jesus' life. Even on into his adult years, Jesus goes to church, makes trips to Jerusalem many times in order to worship and be involved specifically with the various feasts and the festivals that were part of the law of Moses. And then of course, during that last week of Jesus' life, that final week on earth, he's at the temple a lot. He's there just in all kinds of different ways, preaching and teaching and exhorting, being involved in the various activities related to the Passover. Thought of then in those terms, I think it's safe to say that Jesus spent a lot of time at church. And i got to tell you, that idea, that just really grabs my attention. Because what if, what if we could tag along with Jesus... What if we could go to church with the Lord? What exactly would that be like? What can we learn from visiting a place of worship, a center of worship, and we are side by side with Jesus? Well, this morning, we don't have to hypothesize about that. We don't have to speculate about that. Because we have the gospel record of several occasions in Jesus' life when He frequented the temple. And as part of our preaching theme for 2018, we're going to go with Him. We're going to go to church with Jesus today. And let's see what we can learn from the Master about what it means to worship God. Think about it. We are in a worship assembly this morning. This evening at 6, we're going to come together again, and we're going to be in a worship assembly once more. So let's try and see if we can see all of this from Jesus' vantage point, and let's try to figure out what He expects of us in this environment. Are you ready for that? Let's begin that in John the second chapter, please. In John chapter 2, this is early in the ministry of Jesus, and we read here beginning in verse 13. John chapter 2 and in verse 13, there the Bible says, in John 2 beginning in verse 13, that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out their coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Wow. Now that's something I'm going to bet you've never seen happen at church before. But it happened here. And amazingly, this is not the only time that this happened. Would you find Matthew? Please look in Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, this is now later in Jesus' life. This is near the end of His public ministry. Some time has passed, and again, Jesus comes to Jerusalem, He comes to the temple, and once again, He cleanses the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, this is verse 12. In Matthew 21 and in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. I want to say from those two passages this morning that when Jesus comes to church... Jesus expects to find that the focus in that place is going to be on God and worshiping God. Now, I want to be very clear once again that there are some differences between the temple of Bible times and our church buildings today. But under the old law, there were certain worship practices that were mandated by God And Solomon, with the approval of God, built a temple, a place, a facility where those things could be done. And of course, if you know your Old Testament history, then you know that Nebuchadnezzar burnt that original temple to the ground. But then during the times of Ezra the scribe and those who were his compatriots, the temple was rebuilt so that the worship of God could carry on. By the time of Jesus, that temple had actually been enlarged and it had been beautified dramatically under the direction of Herod the Great. All of that said, though, the temple was still the place to do what? It was still the place to go and focus on and worship God. That was to be the primary, singular focus of what was going on in that building and in that structure, worshiping God. In that way, then, that makes the temple really no different than this church building, Or any other church building that is built and maintained with God's money. Money that has been contributed by God's people to the treasury of the Lord. To do what? To be involved in the worship of God. Yes, I realize that there is great edification that we get from coming into this place. There is encouragement that we get from one another. But listen to me. All of that is secondary. All of that is a byproduct of our primary focus as to why we are here. And that is to worship The Lord. Yet if you were to visit lots of church buildings today, eh, that doesn't really seem to be the primary function as the same as it was of the temple of old. You drive by lots of modern church buildings today and what do you see? Well, you see playgrounds and you see ball fields. You see gymnasiums. You go inside and you see family life centers. You see community rec halls. Sometimes they're referred to as the youth annex. You'll go into the foyer and you'll see coffee bars, you'll see gift shops. I was surprised to learn that there are actually as many as 200 churches in America that have bowling alleys inside their facilities. Wow! If the devil's in the way, we will bowl right over him, I guess. Why, when somebody today, when they say, Hey, I'm going to church, there's a pretty good chance that they may not even mean I'm going to worship God. Why, when they say that, they may mean I'm going to an aerobics class. They may mean I'm going to vote in an election. They may mean I'm going to drop my kids off for a Mother's Day out. In fact, the buzzword in many churches today is the term multi-purpose. We've got a multi-purpose facility where you can come and we can do all kinds of stuff. We can play and we can recreate and we can have fun. And oh yeah, of course, over here, yeah, we can do some of that worship stuff too while we're here. I need you to see this morning. That when Jesus comes to church, Jesus expects everything to be focused on and centered on God. And anything that was not focused on God, Jesus said, get it out. I want that out of here. That's not to be in this place. This isn't about a place of recreational activity. This is not a place for civic activities. This is not about being multi-focused. This is about being singularly focused. This is about the worship of Almighty God. In fact, would you look again there at Matthew 21. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, it's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. How? How do all of the various carnal activities that the world incorporates into the church, how in the world does that fit into Jesus' description here of a house of prayer, a place of worship? I would submit to you that it does not. And yet, even as I say that, you and I know that there are lots of justifications that people try to offer for that kind of thing. People say, well, you know, we have all these other things because it helps to attract the lost. we got all these lost people out in the world, so we offer all these other activities and it helps to attract and to bring them in. Well, could that same justification not have also been said of the temple of old? These Jews back in Jesus' time, they could have said, well, you know what, we got all these lost Gentiles who maybe are thinking about proselyting to the Jewish faith, and so they're coming up here to Jerusalem, and they're maybe thinking about wanting to offer a sacrifice. Well, well they're not going to know what to sacrifice. They're not going to know what animals need to be brought before the Lord, and so we're just going to help them out. We're going to already have those things ready for them. And they're not going to come already with the temple money. They're not going to have the coins that the temple's used, so we're going to go ahead and have that ready, have the coinage ready for them as well, so when they get here, just trying to make things appealing to them, trying to make things accessible to them. All these lost folks out here, we just want to make it easy for them. Or, you know, sometimes people will say things like, well, you know, we got this big, nice building, and we're just just trying to maximize the space that we've got here. We don't want all this empty space to go unused, so we just start using it for other things. Yeah, we use it for worship, but then we use it for some other stuff too. Well, I tell you this, the temple, that same thing could have been said about the temple. In the temple courtyard, there was lots of space. The temple complex was estimated to be somewhere between 20 and 30 acres large. Lots of room there for a little banking center over here. Maybe have a couple of cages of pigeons over here. Set up a little corral over here to be a little little, little kind of livestock barn, if you will. And yet Jesus here in Matthew 21, He did not say, well, you know what, that's a good idea. I appreciate you all maximizing your space out here. Don't let any of that go to waste. Hey, good on you. Or you know, maybe most commonly what we hear today People will justify those practices by saying, well, you know, the things that we're involved in other than the worship of God, it's just such a good work. We're doing such a good and valuable service for the community. It's just good and it's healthy. Listen to me very carefully this morning. Jesus never said that selling animals for sacrifice, that that was wrong. What Jesus said was it just belongs somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good thing, just not in here. In fact, what Jesus says there in verse 13, you should know it's actually a quotation from Jeremiah the 7th chapter, which was a stinging rebuke of a people who were far, far from God. And so for Jesus to compare these folks to those folks in Jeremiah's day that Jeremiah had rebuked, this would have been seen clearly as a fierce condemnation of their practices. And so I cannot help but wonder, what would Jesus say if He came to a modern-day place of worship and He walks inside and He finds weight rooms and a racquetball court and outside He finds jungle gyms and baseball diamonds? What would Jesus say? I'm pretty sure I know what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, get this stuff out of here! My Father's house is to be a place of prayer. You know, I believe that there are lots of very good arguments to be made against church-sponsored recreation and all the various things that go along with that. And I've heard all those arguments before, but I've got to tell you, it seems to me that we really just don't need to go any further than right here to what Jesus says in John 2 and in Matthew 21. This right here is decisive. This is conclusive. Jesus says... Get it out. When Jesus comes to the meeting place of the church, He expects to find, can you believe this? He expects there to be a focus on God and on worshiping God. I believe that that is a very, very different perspective. That's a profoundly different emphasis than what we see in many so-called churches today. Which leads right into this second idea this morning. And that is, when Jesus comes to church... Jesus doesn't judge things by the size or by the splendor of the building. Look with me now in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 13. In Mark 13, once again, we find Jesus at the temple. In Mark chapter 13, this is verse number 1 that I'm reading. In Mark 13 and verse 1, there we're told, Mark 13 verse 1, that as He came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to Him, Look, teacher! Look, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, I think verse 1 is the kind of verse that's kind of easy for us to jump right past. But if you look at it for a moment, it really is kind of puzzling. As I noted earlier, Jesus came to the temple just all the time. He was there at the temple lots throughout his life. And yet here he is now during the last week of his life. And as Jesus is leaving the temple, his disciples, they're kind of tugging at his robe. And they say, hey, Lord, take a look around here. You need to really take all of this in. You need to admire the beautiful architecture of this temple. It's really quite amazing. It seems as if, even though Jesus had been to the temple many, many times before, He'd never really taken in all the splendor and the magnificence of this amazing structure. And so His disciples wanted Him to kind of, you know, take the 50-cent tour. Hey, Lord, you look at this. Poke around a little bit in here. This place is awesome. You need to check it out. And Jesus, verse 2, Jesus wasn't all that impressed. And yet you should know that the temple, it was impressive according to our standards. In fact, that's really what makes it surprising that Jesus didn't find it to be more impressive. Herod had been building on this particular temple and adding to it for 46 years now in a massive reconstruction and renovation and expansion project. The temple building itself, it was covered in white marble and it was gilded with gold. It was held by many in Jesus' time to be one of the wonders of that ancient world. It is said that when the sun rose in the east and the sun would shine upon the temple, that that white marble, it just gleamed and glistened. And that the sun, as it hit the gold, it would just sparkle and dazzle. It was an amazing sight for the human eye to see. And the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, look at it. Just look at it. Isn't it awesome? And Jesus says, yeah, I don't think it's all that great. In fact, you guys shouldn't get too impressed with it yourself because it ain't going to be long before that whole thing. It's going to be utterly and absolutely destroyed. Talk about a shocker. What do you mean, Jesus? Are you kidding me? But to Jesus, a physical building, that just wasn't that big of a deal. Even a very ornate and incredibly expensive building like the temple. Jesus didn't care. That building was not that important to the Lord. What mattered to Jesus were the worshipers in that building. And what Jesus consistently found that when He came to those ornate buildings like that, is He found that the kind of worshipers He was looking for oftentimes were lacking. Would you find Matthew again this time in chapter 23? What did Jesus find when He came to the temple? In Matthew 23, here's the kind of worshipers Jesus often found in that building. In Matthew chapter 23, this is verse 37. In Matthew 23, verse 37, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. Many of those worshippers who frequented the temple, they were corrupt, Jesus says. These Jews were far from what God wanted them to be. They were not fully interested in God or in God's things. They preferred rather their own procedures and their own regulations and their own traditions to what the Scriptures actually did say. These are worshipers who are largely indifferent to Jesus and to His message, all the way from the leaders at the top to the common man down at the bottom. When Jesus came to them and He talked to them about things like knowing the Father in heaven, when Jesus talked to them about being a part and building a spiritual kingdom, they didn't care about that. They weren't interested in those things. All they could think about was putting together a big army to whoop the Romans and to get out from under their oppressive rule and not have to pay their taxes to Caesar anymore. That's what they wanted to hear. And when Jesus burst onto the scene and He didn't talk that language, when He didn't speak the language of revolution, yeah, we're not interested in you, Jesus. And that's why when Jesus looked even at a magnificent building like the temple, all he could see was that it was largely devoid of the most important thing, and that is real worshippers inside. When you stop to think about it in those terms, then it makes it sound like the temple isn't really all that impressive, is it? And yet I wonder, I wonder how often we use a very superficial criteria when judging churches today. Imagine here, for example, imagine we're, we're on vacation somewhere, and we need to find a congregation to worship with on Sunday, and so we, we get online, and we Google, and we do our research, and we find, okay, here's the group that we're gonna go and meet with, and so we travel out to this place, and we get there on Sunday morning, and it's just, uh, just a real little bitty group. And it's way out in the sticks, way off of the main road, it's hard to even find, but we get there, and we start looking around, and the building looks like it was built during the Civil War, and the floors are creaky and cracking, and you walk in and there's a musky odor on the inside of that building, what do we think to ourselves? We think, yikes, what have we got ourselves into here? What kind of church is this? Conversely, when the GPS leads us to a big, sleek, new, expensive, state-of-the-art church building, I mean, they got the flat-screen TV in the you, and it's got the scrolling welcome message on it. And I mean, they've got you know, crisp new songbooks and Bibles in the pews. And they've got the high vaulted ceilings in the auditorium. What do we say? We say, wow, this looks like an amazing church. This group must really be something. Really? What kind of judgment is that? How have we decided that square footage, that that is any kind of measure of the quality of worship that's going inside that building? Certainly not saying that big or nice buildings, that they are wrong. Absolutely not. But Jesus helps us to open our eyes to see that there's a whole lot more going on than just the size and the splendor of a structure. In fact, instead of maybe talking about vacationing and visiting other churches, maybe we ought to think about ourselves right here at Lakeside. What kind of church are we? Real easy for us to say, well, isn't it obvious? You're a pretty great church. I mean, come on, look at this nice building we've got. Everything's in order. and Man, we just got it all together here. And of course, this is a great facility that we have been blessed with. Many of the hands that helped to build this meeting place 17 years ago are still in this room right now. And I know that there are many others here throughout the years and even to this present day have a big hand in helping to maintain and to the upkeep of this church building. There's lots of good things that can be said about this meeting place. But what if Jesus came here and we're tugging at Jesus' robe and we say, Jesus, come on, let me take you on a tour of the grounds here. Let me show you our building. you got to see this place. How do you think that's going to go? Can you imagine? Jesus, come on, look at these new pews we got. We just got these new pews a couple of years ago. What do you think about these pews, Jesus? Let me take you downstairs. Let me show you the Bible classes. Boy, I tell you what, our teacher got the walls all decorated with some great visual aids down there. You got to be impressed with that. Hey, let me take you to the resource room, Jesus. That right there? Yes. That's the copier that Moses used to copy the Ten Commandments. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? Come on, Jesus, this is an amazing building. Jesus, his response is probably going to be something along the lines of, I don't really want to see all that. All of this stuff, this really isn't all that important to me. This is just a building. Wood and stone and brick and mortar. What I really want to know is I want to know what kind of people come in to this building. I want to know what's in the hearts of the people who frequent this building. What are they about? Are they about seeking God? Do they want to do the will of my heavenly Father? Or do they maybe have their own agenda? They've got their own priorities. Are they just the kind of people who they're, they're playing church? They're going through the motions? And they have this big nice building. It's kind of a, of a, it's kind of a facade. So that they can tell themselves, Oh, we're, we're really something when in truth, in their hearts, they are far from me. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not pretend that just because we have erected this nice building and just because we arrive here three times every week, that somehow Jesus is going to look at us and He's going to say, wow, you guys are the best church going. Jesus is able to see past that. Jesus is able to see past the outward veneer of a building. Jesus is even able to see past the outward veneer of our nice church clothes that we're wearing this morning. Jesus is able to see... To the inside of a man. And that leads directly into this third and final, probably most important point this morning. And that is that when Jesus comes to church, He's looking for hearts. And He's looking for hearts that want Him. Let's follow Jesus one more time to the temple, this time in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, we actually made a stop here in our With Jesus series last month But I need to revisit this amazing scene once again. In Mark chapter 12, this is verse 41. In Mark 12, beginning of verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury of the temple, and He watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. But a poor widow came in, and she put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And He called His disciples to Him and He said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Here Jesus is at the temple and He is watching people give. And we know from several outside biblical resources, like, for example, the writings of Josephus, that there are actually a number of offering boxes set up there in the temple treasury. There was, for example, a box for a sin offering, and people would put money into that. There'd be a box for a Thanksgiving offering, and people would put money into that. All these boxes down the row. But the final box, the 13th box was designated for free will offerings. Voluntary offerings. That is, after you had met all of your other obligations. I've done this and I'm obligated to the Lord in that way. Now I get to this last box and this is just what I want to give back to God. Not obligated, not forced to do that, don't have to do that, but I just want to do that. I determine the amount. going to give that to God purely out of the generosity and the love that is in my heart. And it must have been quite a spectacle there in verse 41 to see all these rich people coming in. And they're just pouring money into that free will box. Oh man, look at this guy. His calling, just piling in there. Look at it. Mr. Big Giver over there. Look at how generous he is. Look how much he gave. But of course, Jesus, Jesus saw right past all of that. Because Jesus was able to see something that we cannot. He's able to see the heart. And what Jesus saw was not all the rich people. Jesus saw right to the heart of this poor widow woman as she puts in her two mites and Jesus says, there, right there, that's what I'm looking for. That woman has a heart for God. Understand very clearly, Jesus was not impressed by religious performance. Jesus did not care for fancy buildings nor the pretend worshippers that often showed up to those fancy buildings. Jesus had no patience whatsoever for people who use religion as a show, as a show for their friends and for their neighbors. It didn't matter whether it was somebody doing lots of big giving to impress people, or somebody giving a big long prayer to impress others, or maybe somebody who was just an extraordinary singer to impress others. That's not what Jesus wanted. What Jesus wanted then, which is what Jesus wants now, is Jesus wants... Hearts. Hearts that are fully given to Him. Hearts that trust the Lord. Hearts that want to please the Lord. In many ways, what happens with this widow's offering in Mark chapter 12 is really the perfect commentary for what Jesus said in John 4. Would you look in John 4, please? In John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation about worship with the Samaritan woman at the well. And in that conversation, Jesus says this in John 4. Look at verse 23. Jesus says there, John 4, 23, He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. We're very familiar with that part of the verse. Look at the last part of the verse. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. What a stunning statement that God's looking for something. God's looking for someone. He is looking for worshipers, not just any kind of worshipers, but he's looking for worshipers who want him. That their desire is to please him and to make him happy. You know, some of what I've said this morning, I imagine, would probably be very off-putting to some folks in the religious world. They would say, well, you know, what do you mean that the church isn't to be about, you know, fun and frolic and entertainment? Who would want to go to a church that doesn't have that? Come on, who would want to go to some dumpy, ordinary, little old building over there on the wrong side of the tracks? Who would want to go to a church that's just simply about being a house of prayer? John 4 tells us the kind of worshippers that want to go to that place the kind of worshiper that god seeks is the kind of worshiper who seeks after god who wants to focus on god who sees worship as an opportunity to give their very hearts to the lord and i need to be asking myself right now you need to ask yourself is that what i'm doing here today when god is looking on my heart right now this very second as we are engaged in a study of his word what is god seeing In fact, maybe I should put that question in the past tense. What has God seen in this period of worship? What has God seen in your heart as we sang those songs? We sang about Him and about His place, about heaven. What was in your heart as you sang those songs? When our brother Paul led us so ably a few moments ago in that prayer, was your heart involved in that? Did you come before the Lord with thanksgiving and with your petitions at that time? And maybe I should also ask this question in the future sense. When we have the opportunity here in just a couple of moments to give back to God, what's God going to see on your heart in that moment? When we partake of these emblems in just a few moments, to remember the body and the blood of Jesus, where will your heart be then? That kind of honest self-examination, oftentimes it can be very incriminating, it can be very indicting, Because it is really easy for us to come in here and we can put on a show, we can put on a little bit of a religious performance and we can fool everybody else. But you know what? Anybody can do that. That's easy. Anybody can do that kind of thing. But this widow woman in Mark 12, what she does is so much more difficult. Giving your heart to the Lord. In another sense though, I should say that the widow woman's example, it ought to be really good news for us. Because the widow's might, what that means is, is that means you don't have to have the best singing voice where every note is perfectly on key and you're just perfectly in tune every time. Her example means that you don't have to be the most extravagant giver. You don't have to give a million dollars when the collection basket is passed. Her example means that you don't have to take the best sermon notes and you stand out in the foyer. oh, look at the profound things that I wrote down during Josh's sermon today. No. The widow's example shows us that you just do the best you can. You participate to the very best of your ability in worship. You worship God from the heart because it's what's on the inside that makes all the difference in the world. In fact, if what you are doing today, if the inside component, if it's not there, then all that stuff that you're doing on the outside, it is meaningless, it is pointless. It'd be better off for you to just stay at home. But if what's on the inside, if it is there, then what you do in worship, it means everything. It means everything to you and it means everything to God. Because He is seeking for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Worshipers who will give Him their hearts. Now I must say, I believe we've learned a lot from going to church with Jesus. And naturally, at least for me, I think it causes our minds to maybe kind of wonder, okay, we went to church with Jesus in the first century. What would it be like if Jesus came to church with us? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? What if Jesus came to our own assembly? You ever thought about that? What if Jesus showed up on some Sunday here at Lakeside? What would that be like? I'll tell you this. I think all of us would be running back there you know, shaking His hand and greeting Mr. Visitor Jesus. Everybody be making sure to greet the visitor that day. I think the singing that day would be even more fervent than it already is. I bet the prayers that are offered that day would be taken to a whole nother level realizing that our mediator is right here in our midst. I wonder if maybe we could get Jesus to preside at the table and have Him to lead our minds in those thoughts as we partake of the supper. I assure you that your preacher would feel very intimidated that day trying to preach a sermon knowing that the greatest preacher who ever lived is sitting right here in our midst. It is a daunting thing to imagine Jesus being in our midst as we try to worship God. But you realize, don't you? You realize that as we have brought our worship before the Father's throne during this past hour, You do realize that Jesus has been here, don't you? He has been here for every single minute. He is here right now. He is in our midst every single time we gather in His name. The question is, what does He see? What kind of hearts does He find when we come into the Lord's house And offer worship in His name. You know, there is coming a day in which there's going to be a worship assembly unlike any worship assembly that has ever taken place here upon this earth. And those of us who are Christians, those of us who are living faithfully for the Lord, we're really looking forward to that day. I know that I am. going to be a worship assembly that's going on in heaven, where the singing is we're around the great white throne singing praises to the land throughout the ages of the ages that's going to be awesome i want to be there I'm doing everything i can right now so that i will be there but if you're not a child of god chances are the thought of thinking about that probably scares you a little bit because you realize that you're not in a prepared condition right now you're not ready to be a part of that great worship assembly someday and that someday could be today for all that we know question is, what are you going to do about that? The Lord knows hearts. Talked about that already. What does He see in your heart? Does He see that you do have a love for God and a desire to want to please Him, but you just haven't gotten off the dime? Well, why don't we get off the dime today? Why don't we make today the day? We come down this aisle, confess our faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son, and then allow ourselves to be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of all of our sins so that we can become Christians, we can become a God's, part of God's family, be a part of His church, and we can be ready for that great moment, whenever it may be, when we can join the saved of all time, worshiping God throughout eternity. Can we help you this morning? Brother or sister, if there's sin in your life and you're not living right, you're not doing and being what you ought to be, get that straightened out. Repent. If that needs to happen in a public kind of way, we're ready to pray with you and encourage you and help you too so that you can be confident and you can be ready to meet the Lord in the air and to be with Him in heaven someday. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to make it known. Do that right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.